Hello, Secret Movie Clubbers. Welcome to Secret Movie Club Summer Podcast number eight. Today, we are continuing our David Lynch Twin Peaks series. This is part three of four of that. Uh, We are talking about 2017's Twin Peaks The Return, which uh, Lynch and Mark Frost, his co-writer and co-creator, always viewed as a feature film uh, in 18 parts. It was exhibited as a limited series on Showtime, uh, one hour a week for 18 weeks. Uh, but when you do see the whole thing, it does feel somewhere in between a limited series and a real feature, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Today we're going to talk about parts one through eight, part eight being, in my opinion, one of the greatest hours of television ever produced. And for everybody who's seen it, if you say part eight, they know what you're talking about. Uh, and uh, then we are going to, next week, just to let you know how this series works, next week will be about something different, and then the week after that will be the last summer podcast, and it'll be Twin Peaks The Return Parts 9 through 18, and then we will have talked about all 45 hours of Twin Peaks. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. We are also reposting as part of these summer podcasts. Uh, I actually am going back again. I want to post... Secret Movie Club Podcast 10,000, our favorite pre-23rd century films. This was released Thursday, April 1st, 2021, and that should tell you everything about that. Uh, I, I, In going through what podcast to repost today, I just remembered that we do this every April 1st, and uh, I'm really proud of the team. Uh, this was an idea that came from Connor Lloyd Cruz. And uh, it's something I look forward to. Whether we're successful and we make you laugh every year is a different question. We usually try to really get funny people on for these as well, but I hope you enjoy it. Uh, This week, by the time you hear this, uh, because I'm actually recording this on Friday, so it is Friday, uh, September 15th, we are showing tonight on 35mm Wong Kar Wai's Ashes of Time Redux, a lot like uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now Redux, the basically Wong Kar Wai wanted to restore this martial arts movie he made and discovered the elements were all in horrible condition. So it's actually shorter than the original version, but it's got everybody in a Wong Kar Wai movie. Uh, Maggie Chung, Tony Leung, Leslie Chung, I think Karina Lau is in it. And he Wong Kar Wai takes his intense ensemble human, romantic, aesthetic, and applies it to a very famous story, a martial arts story. Tomorrow, uh, we return to our Alfred Hitchcock director of the year. We are showing two of his experimental movies, Rope and The Birds on 35mm. Hitchcock is just one of those amazing filmmakers who was able to make wildly avant-garde experimental movies uh, in broad daylight, and they still were commercial. Then next week, We finish our secret series of 2023. Night 9 is going to be parts 9, 10, 11, and 12. And that is Thursday, September 21st at 7.30 p.m. And then the final night, night 10, the night of completion, will be parts 13 through 18. And we actually are going to have one of the main actors from Twin Peaks, The Return, uh, George, who played uh, the killer Ray Monroe, who kills Mr. C, shoots Mr. C in part eight. Uh, George Griffith has come to a number of our events he incredibly kind. He got my daughter a onesie uh, when she was born. And George is going to come and do a Q&A about what it was like to be on The Return, uh, what it was like to work with David Lynch. And that is next Friday. So please come join us 
As always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. That's our email. You can find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. You can go to Eventbrite uh, where we sell our tickets. Again, the cheat code is just follow us on Eventbrite. And anytime we announce a new event, you'll get a notification. Uh, and we really do love reviews. Uh, they really do help us. So whether it's an Apple or a Spotify Spotify podcast review or whatever you want to put a review for a podcast or a, a Yelp or a Google review, uh, all of that stuff does in the end really, really help. So thank you very much. So today I want to talk about, uh, we're going to continue talking about Twin Peaks and we're going to talk about Twin Peaks The Return, which was made in 2017, six years ago. I did write a blog piece about this if you go to secretmovieclub.com. But what, I, what I'm what i doing is I'm going to talk about the things I didn't write about in the blog. Although there may be a little overlap, uh, I really work to actually make these two things complementary. Uh, so it, bottom line here. Uh, David Lynch made Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, which was the last uh, Twin Peaks we talked about. And then in 2014, he released The Missing Pieces, which were all the scenes he cut out of Twin Peaks. 25 years later, Twin Peaks The Return premiered on Showtime. And the key thing about that number is that from the very first episode, this is the crazy thing. I think when people talk about Lynch and they're like, oh, he's just weird for weird's sake, or he doesn't, he's just being weird. Um, I really flatly reject that uh, as somebody who thinks that, and, and I'm obviously not alone. Uh, Lynch is one of our great living American directors, and he's one of the greatest directors who's ever lived, in my opinion. And when you see Lynch films, they are always intentional. They are always thought out. In fact, they're so thought out, and he pours his heart and soul in them that like a Kubrick movie, you often a year later or two years later, you're like, oh, and there are all these levels. His movies just uh, keep on giving. Um, and so what, when he and Mark Frost made the pilot, the Twin Peaks pilot in 1989, they had to make a European version that had to be basically self-contained and operate as a feature. We talked about this. And in that, uh, the very ending that goes to the Red Room says 25 years later. Uh, then in the series itself, in the season two finale, Laura Palmer and Dale Cooper meet in the Red Law, in the, the Black Lodge, the Red Room, and Laura says, I will see you in 25 years. Now, in the early 90s, everyone was just like, oh, what does that mean? Was, wow, this is more crazy Red Room stuff. 25 years later, <laughs> Twin Peaks, The Return comes out. And in reading Lynch's uh, a biography, autobiography, Room to Dream, uh, written by Kristen McKenna with David Lynch, uh, it, it, the his wife, David Lynch's wife, Emily Stoffel, talks about how he and Mark Frost, Lynch and Mark Frost, started meeting like 2010, 2011. So clearly they were talking to each other and clearly there, there may have been this almost Richard Linklater-esque, like, let's do this in 25 years. And they were able to do it. And it's amazing. The basic thing about Twin Peaks The Return, just to, to summarize it so we can dive into it, is if you haven't seen it, see it. Uh, you can stream it. It was Showtime. Uh, you can also get the Blu-rays now. But basically, they made it as an 18-hour feature, and it is, you know from the very first part, from part one, that it is an expansion. It is a development. They are not resting on their laurels. It is not fan service. David Lynch, uh, you get the feeling from the very beginning that Lynch intuits that 
if he doesn't get to ever do anything at this level again, he is going to make his summation movie. And to me, Twin Peaks The Return is a summation film. Everything that David Lynch has done in all of his other movies, he references here and goes even further. Everything that he and Mark Frost did in Twin Peaks is referenced here and he goes further. And it's also a bit of a David Lynch autobiography. David Lynch co-stars in The Return as Gordon Cole, FBI agent Gordon Cole, in a much bigger part than he had in the original series or the feature film. And I just want to put this out here that I think I love David Lynch as an actor and he gives the greatest director performance since probably Jean Renoir in The Rules of the Game. Now, obviously, they're actor directors. That's a totally different thing. Charlie Chaplin is on a whole other level. But I'm talking about directors who then get in front of the camera. But that's not really getting in front of the camera. Being an actor is not really their thing. And I think of all the directors I've ever seen do that, I think that Lynch and Renoir are the two best, hands down. But The Return... Uh, It does this amazing thing. It starts right where the feature and season two left off. In the Red Room, 25 years later, just as they promised. Kyle MacLachlan came back as Dale Cooper. And unlike the feature Fire Walk With Me, Kyle MacLachlan read the script and he was all in. uh, And he would have to be because of the script. Kyle MacLachlan, we'll talk about this more in the final part, plays five different parts. But in parts one through eight, he's Dale Cooper. He's Dale Cooper's evil doppelganger, Mr. C, uh, who we we met in the season two finale. He plays, we meet Dougie Jones, who is this philandering, oafish Las Vegas insurance adjuster that Dale Cooper takes over. All of these are Kyle MacLachlan. And then when we get to the back end of the return, nine through 18, we get at least one or two more different parts. But we we have to talk about that later uh, because that almost becomes key and instrumental to uh, the whole return. Uh, We go, oh, okay, so we're going to deal with this story of Dale Cooper and his doppelganger, which really is actually largely the part, uh, largely the story of the return. But almost immediately Lynch and Frost also tell you, but it's way more than that. Uh, We do go back to Twin Peaks. We do uh, see a lot of uh, the characters from the show. Uh, The only people who don't really return, Laura Flynn Boyle doesn't return as Donna. Michael Anderson doesn't return as the man from another place. There are a few other actors and roles from Twin Peaks, the original series, who don't return. It's a bummer. But by and large, uh, most of the people from the original show return. Audrey Horn returns, but we're not there yet. We'll talk about that in parts uh, 9 through 18. Uh, Benjamin Horn, his brother Jerry, return. Uh, even Major Briggs returns, but he gets everybody to return. Uh, one of the big differences, though, is that Michael Ontkian, who played Sheriff Harry Truman in one of the key roles in the original series, just didn't want to return. He had retired at this point. So they replace him with Robert Forrester, who's great, and he plays Harry Truman's brother, Frank Truman. And the little bit of inside trivia there was actually Robert Forrester was supposed to be the original Harry S. Truman, but he had made a promise to be in a friend's uh, independent film. He couldn't shoot the pilot. But Lynch so respected Robert Forrester's integrity, keeping his word to his friend and loved him as a performer that he used him in Mulholland Drive uh, and then he uses him here as Frank Truman and he becomes the sheriff. Uh, He is the sheriff and he's great. Lucy returns uh, and um, the Lucy and Deputy Andy have that baby storyline is Michael Sarah playing Wally Brando. Uh, anyway, we get Shelley, we get Bobby, we, we get uh, the whole a new generation of people who live in Twin Peaks. We get Harry Dean Stanton, but they also expand out. So we are also in Philadelphia. We're in Las Vegas. We're in the Dakotas. 
uh, we're in New Mexico. And so one of the key things about Twin Peaks The Return is, it, it yes, it's about Twin Peaks, but it does this amazing thing and it announces it from the very first episode, which is that if Twin Peaks had up until this point been a microcosm, that is looking at a small town in the Northwest as a microcosmically examining uh, evil, uh, dysfunction, abuse, uh, existential anguish, the transcendent, other worlds. Now we're doing micro and macro and we're looking at America. And this is, this is something that Lynch and Frost are going to develop throughout all of Twin Peaks, The Return. What's interesting about The Return is the first time you see The Return, if you are a Twin Peaks fanatic, uh, and, and I'm sure you've heard this before, Lynch and Frost are very clear from the very beginning. I don't think that some people, I've read a lot of writing about The Return where they say, oh, they, the whole thing is about frustrating expectation. The whole thing is about defying what you want. And I understand why that's written about, and hopefully we'll cover that in the two podcasts here. But I don't, I don't, that's not how I really read it. What, what I read is that Lynch is, is a, a genius filmmaker, uh, one of the few who really understands uh, movies and loves movies and loves the form. And I feel like he and Frost felt if we're getting this money from Showtime and we get to do a third season, we want to do the best that we can do. And that means taking chances. That means doing new things. That means developing the story. Basically, season three, once you've seen it all the way through and you know what it is, seeing it again, which is what I'm doing right now, is so enjoyable because you can just let go. You know what's going to happen. Uh, you don't have to be like, wait, why Why am I getting Dougie Jones for 15 episodes or how many is it? It's like 12 episodes. Why am I getting Dougie for 12 episodes? Where's Dale Cooper? Uh, why are we bouncing all around? What are these other storylines? Uh, the, the Once you've seen it and you, you really understand why it is the way it is, the second time you see it, uh, it is, in my opinion, the greatest movie of 2017 – one of the great cinematic masterworks of the 21st century, which is why I didn't talk about it last week. Uh, and it, it is uh, really pound for pound, minute for minute, the best season of Twin Peaks, in my opinion. A lot of people take me to task for that, uh, but that is that is my feeling. So saying that, uh, parts one through eight, really I think the key way to view Twin Peaks The Return is that Lynch had not made anything since 2006's Inland Empire. And that wasn't necessarily intentional. He actually wrote a script called Antelope Don't Run Here No More uh, in 2010 that he tried to get made. He was trying to make a movie about four years after Inland Empire. And from what I've read, that script is amazing. But ultimately, they were able to get Showtime to finance Twin Peaks The Return. And there was even a fight, a budget fight. Uh, there's a If you read the, the biography, autobiography, the very famous story that Showtime, and, and I get where Showtime was coming from, they kept telling Lynch and his producer, Sabrina Sutherland, well, okay, here's your per episode budget. And Lynch was like, no, 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 no. It's a feature. We need a lump sum budget. It needs to be bigger. I think probably, I don't want to speak for Lynch, but I get the feeling that what he was trying to communicate is some episodes aren't going to cost as much. And other episodes, and this becomes very clear with part eight, are going to cost a lot of the budget. 
And uh, I don't think that the money people at Showtime understood it because they were thinking of it as TV. And they were like, no, <laughs> your budget's going to be whatever, 500000 an episode or a million an episode. And Lynch was like, no. And he walked away. Lynch walked away. And it, uh, everyone was devastated because they thought this thing was going to happen. Uh, and I think rather than chasing or trying to please or change, I think many smart filmmakers, yet you have to just say, and, and you have to mean it. You just have to say, and, but you have to also be genuine and sincere in that. Look, I've done the budget. This is what it's going to cost to give you something good. If, you, if we can't afford it, we can't afford it, but I'm not going into it without that budget. And they gave them the budget, uh, and I'm so glad that they did. And Lynch, uh, I, I, my understanding, has worked to be very, very responsible with the budget he was given, but it was the budget he asked for. Anyway, uh, the 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 thing about Twin Peaks The Return is immediately from part one, we jump all over the country. One of the things that made me super happy in part one, Lynch is making a young person's movie. And there's this amazing hard cut to Mr. C, uh, Dale Cooper's doppelganger driving in the woods. And there's all these motifs in all of Twin Peaks of lights in the woods, uh, headlights or a flashlight, and then darkness. And the, that's the image we get is these car headlights and the woods and then darkness. And he cuts to this really half-speed rockin' American woman cover uh, that's really hardcore and grind. And I was like, yeah, yeah, effing yeah. Lynch has lost, lost nothing. It was like when he used to cut to Rammstein in Lost Highway, the German death metal band or whoever they were. You were like, whoa, <laughs> Lynch is awesome. Uh, and uh, that just tells you uh, he's here. The other thing that's interesting because Mr. C, the doppelganger, is going to be a pretty important character for a large part, in fact, the majority of the series, which is why, really, I think it's helpful to look at the the season three as that story, the story of the season two finale, which is the good Cooper trapped in the, the Black Lodge or the Red Room and the bad doppelganger Cooper out in the world. That really, in many ways, becomes the uber story thread line through uh, all of the return. What What's interesting now that I'm on part eight in the rewatch with the audience is you realize that the bad Cooper, Mr. C, has been possessed by Bob, which is this metaphor for evil. Uh, Sarah, Laura Palmer's dad, Leland Palmer, was possessed by Bob. And as we've talked about, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me became this unbearable, intense metaphor for incest and abuse and a, a person who is good and evil at the same time, you realize that Cooper now has had been possessed by Bob as long, but roughly, give or take, as Leland was, 25 years, 30 years. And this causes the very unsettling realization that there is now a kind of equation between Leland and Dale Cooper, which you never wanted to make. Because the evil Mr. C does horrible things, kills people, like kills someone by bludgeoning them and suffocating them within the first uh, two or three episodes. The, now, the interesting thing that's a little different from the way that uh, Lynch treated Leland is you see the good Cooper. There, there was never, a, oh, the good Leland is over here and the bad Leland is over here and they're two Lelands. It was always Leland was one and the same, and it was really a metaphor for the evil within us and the good within us and all that, the layers and ambiguities. Here, there, we get good Cooper in the lodge, and good Cooper eventually escapes in part three and uh, inhabits the body of Dougie Jones, and the Dougie Jones storyline goes on, and I'll, I'll talk about that briefly in just a moment. Um, but uh, So we do, we do, it's a different thing. There is a good Cooper and there is a bad Cooper, and the bad Cooper is not Cooper. It's someone different. Uh, but 
we are going to get a complex Cooper. That is going to happen, a, a complicated Cooper. Uh, there are other things in the first eight episodes. David Lynch did his own sound design, and there are all these amazing sound tra- transitions that I now want to try, <laughs> lift from Lynch, where even if it's a shoe squeaking in a jail cell, he'll throw tons of echo on it and carry it over. So the shoe squeak in, in shot A will carry over into the head of shot B, and it's an amazing way to bridge a cut. I really love it, and Lynch does it. He used to do it with camera flashes too, and the final bulb would sound like a gunshot and because uh, he would throw tons of echo on it uh there's uh there are rhymes in parts one through eight that uh, are great that call back to the original series so in the the pilot of the very first twin peaks laura palmer's mom is like sleeping on the couch she has a vision and she jumps up screaming a vision of someone grabbing laura palmer's uh, locket here we see sarah palmer played by grace sabrisky the only living palmer and actually she will become a key character um and there'll be a lot of revelations about her and she's just watching a nature documentary where I think uh, lions are just tearing into a water buffalo, if I remember right, and Lynch is on that for a minute or two. But it goes to that Lynch theme of uh, that 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 this thing I love about him that always feels honest to me about him and truthful, which is an optimism about the world, but also saying this is the world. The world is also brutality, uh, animal on animal brutality, human on human brutality. And Sarah Palmer's fascination with it is a real clue to the development of her character as we go on. Uh, there are other techniques that Lynch is still doing brilliantly. He's like, like not lost his edge at all. One of the things that I noticed probably first, I mean, he does it in Eraserhead actually from the very first movie, is he'll have one character behaving in a very um, expressionistic uh, heightened style. And then it'll have someone behaving like we behave. And it actually creates tremendous comedy, the clash of those two acting styles. And we get that where Dale Cooper becomes Dougie and uh, he's with a sex worker named Jade. And Jade, she's awesome. I wish there was more Jade, frankly, in Twin Peaks of the Return. Jade uh, behaves like what I think a sex worker would probably behave like. She She's done with the job. She wants to get on with the rest of her day. And it's hilarious. Uh, and it really sets up the Dougie in the world thing uh, beautifully. Uh, Dougie, we'll talk about Dougie briefly, but, but we do have to talk about Dougie. So basically, when people saw Twin Peaks The Return, the expectation or the hope our expectation was we were going to get 18 hours of Dale Cooper as Dale Cooper solving a crime or what have you. Who knows what we thought? Instead, though, Dale Cooper, to escape the Red Room and escape the transcendental world, escapes through an electrical socket. Electricity was all, has always been key to Lynch. And uh, he, the, his doppelganger, Mr. C, had a plan to force him to stay in. So this was obviously – all this stuff was not supposed to happen. And it's a real announcement that even the transcendental world, the existential world, the spiritual world – uh, is tough, is rough. It's just as Shakespeare said in Hamlet. So Cooper gets out, but he he gets in this body and he becomes a kind of, I don't know how you would describe Dougie, but Dougie is very simple to the point of almost having a childlike fascination with the world. And that I think the implication being that Cooper has gotten back to the real world, but he's in uh, the body of someone else and the, they are the personality that's being expressed. It is Cooper, but it's Cooper um, 
who he doesn't even know he's Cooper. Although he, he there are all these great things they do in the Dougie storyline where he's he loves badges, he loves case files, he loves coffee. But you basically see Cooper, and he's been in the the Red Room for twenty five years. So it's this kind of stunned, uh, childlike, almost um, loopy performance, and that goes on for 13, 12 episodes. What what's great about it is that. You know, when you first see it, you're just like, when are we getting Cooper? When is he gonna, when is he going to get out of Dougie? But once you know what Dougie is and you've seen the whole series and you know how it, where it's going to go, you can watch McLaughlin's performance as Dougie. Those scenes are hilarious. Naomi Watts plays his wife, uh, Janie E, and his son. There's his son, Sonny Jim. And this is the whole Las Vegas storyline. It's very funny. And it's also, if Cooper represented a kind of decency and goodness in the original Twin Peaks. He does so here, but Dougie represents goodness almost in its most childlike form. And this goodness affects everybody around him. And this is like the ongoing joke of the Dougie storyline is you're never quite sure what Dougie is doing, but Dougie inspires his wife, his son, his coworkers, everybody around him. And it's as if he's getting people to see the things in themselves. Um, There's also the deepening of uh, a lot of the themes that Lynch has always pursued, including uh, spirituality, luck, and chance. And there's a really brutal, brutal example of this in the first eight parts where w- this one character who we will discover, we'll talk about this later, but we discover who his origin, he's, uh, he's now doing the drug running in Twin Peaks. He's a really violent character, young man, and he's driving a truck and he's coked out of his mind. And uh, there's a traffic jam or slow traffic, so he just goes into the other lane, and this boy is crossing the street, and he kills the boy. And Harry Dean Stanton is there to witness it. And uh, what's interesting about this is we had seen a scene uh, previous, I think within the same episode, where there's a boy in Las Vegas who almost messes with a car that has a bomb in it. We know it has the bomb, but he's saved from it at the last moment uh, by a distraction. And uh, by carjackers, actually, they save them. And uh, and yet this boy, for all intents and purposes, the Las Vegas boy, should have been the boy who died because his mother is uh, an addict uh, and she's just out of it in the house. But he lives. That boy lives. And then the uh, the boy who gets hit by the truck, his mother is a good mother. Um, and her boy dies. And this is all throughout the return which is Lynch acknowledging, I think, 360 degrees of existence. Um, There's slow cinema in here, more slow cinema than there used to be in Lynch. That's one change. And that's actually, until you see the whole thing, you're, you're, there's a shot in the first eight parts, the very famous shot for everybody who's seen The Return, of a guy just sweeping the bang-bang bar uh, for four minutes. And you're like, what is up with this dude? sweeping the bar and that's all he does is sweep it uh and but it's great and but actually once you've seen all 18 parts you realize that lynch is preparing you for a device that he's going to use to amazing effect and so these slow cinema bellatar moments actually there is a real narrative formal purpose to this this thing and that uh it really we'll get to it in in our, our final episode And finally, I'm going to bring it home, uh, part eight. So I will say this very briefly. Uh, I'll try. Uh, No matter how much you love David Lynch, even if you have seen everything he's done, including Inland Empire and Eraserhead and his shorts, 
nothing prepares you for part eight, which uh, is, I, I don't know how to describe it. It is unlike anything you've ever seen Lynch do, and yet it feels like a summation of everything that Lynch has done. Basically, in part eight, uh, there's an attempted murder by Raymond Rowe of Mr. C. These woodsmen come, uh, revive Mr. C. Suddenly, they cut to a Nine Inch Nails performance at the Bang Bang Bar. That tells you immediately something's off because usually the musical performance is at the end. Then it cuts to Mr. C rising from the dead, and then it cuts to black and white and the nuclear bomb, the atom bomb testing in Trinity, Mexico in 1945. And I've said this to the audience, but I looked it up. Lynch was born in January of 46. He was uh, he was conceived in April, so he his mother had been one or two months pregnant with him when this happened. And we get this bomb, we go into the bomb, we get a Stan Brackage avant-garde sequence, we see a being vomit up Bob, we then go to this citadel in the middle of an infinite ocean where uh, the fireman, the giant, is with a woman. There's this music playing and some kind of huge iron lung. We then go into a transcendental movie theater where the giant floats. Laura Palmer is created as a golden orb and sent to the earth to combat Bob. Then suddenly we cut back to New Mexico. This frog moth comes out of uh, the sand. We then see a young woman talking to a boy. Uh, they have their first kiss. She goes into uh, her her house. We then see these woodsmen who, uh, oh, and I forgot, we also see the convenience store that's been mentioned in this weird avant-garde sequence of fire and a convenience store and the woodsmen. We then see the woodsmen come into New Mexico, kill people. This one tall woodsman goes into a radio station, kills the secretary, kills the DJ, and then says a poem. And the poem he says is, this is the water and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. And he just repeats that again and again and again. And everybody listening falls asleep, including the little girl, and the frog moth climbs into her mouth. Credits. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what to add to that. Uh, other than... That is, that, th those, I, I, I told this story, but I'll tell it again. Um, when I saw this episode, I leaned forward, I think around the time that the woodsmen were reviving Mr. C at the beginning and it cut to Nine Inch Nails and the Nine Inch Nails song. And I leaned forward because you feel it. You're like, what is going on? And then when it cut to 1945 in black and white and the atomic explosion, I leaned further forward for the next 45 minutes or 50 minutes. I watched the episode when it was done. I realized I had been leaning forward at a 45 degree angle in my chair for near an hour and I leaned back. I don't know what else to say about great filmmaking. When great filmmaking is so captivating and engaging and you've never seen anything like it that you don't even realize you're in an uncomfortable position for 50 minutes, that is incredible filmmaking. And part eight, you've, you, you've loved everything you've seen if you're into it and you, you'd like it. When you get to part eight, you go, holy moly, David Lynch just did one of the greatest things he has ever done. And you realize that David Lynch is pouring his heart and soul into the return. And we will talk more about it next week when we talk about parts 9 through 18. Uh, and thank you so much. 
Uh, next week, we will do Secret Movie Club summer podcast number nine, I believe. That will not be on Twin Peaks because we're going to be showing Twin Peaks next week. So I, I like to rewatch it to be fresh. And then the week after will be the final Secret Movie Club summer podcast number 10, the number of completion. And that'll be about parts nine through 18. Uh, right now, we are going to repost a Secret Movie Club podcast 10,000, uh, our favorite pre-23rd century films. It's a short one. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, you'll get it. Again, it was released April 1st, 2021, April 1st. And uh, as always, you can find out everything we're doing. Just go to secretmovieclub.com or go to Eventbrite. And we are going to be announcing our October through December season uh, starting next week. So stay tuned for that. Thank you guys so much for everything. Uh, and I will be on the pod next week. And I love you, family. Secret Movie Clubbers to our 10,000th, is it? Is it the 10,000th? Yeah. Okay, our 10,000th episode. It's wonderful to be coming to you uh, early April 2225. Today, does that even have any meaning anymore? I don't know. Um, we're going to be talking about our fun hidden gems of the 22nd century. Today, we have special guest star, Jay Light. This is his second time on the show. Jay was on the show sometime in the early 21st century. Connor, what were we talking about? We were talking about Armageddon before actual Armageddon happened. I have to go to Robot Connor now because I can't remember anything pre-50 years ago. So thank you, Robot Connor. Would everybody give it up for Jay Light? Hey, everybody. Glad I could finally make it back into the schedule after all this time. Thanks so much. Yeah, you were playing hard to get. I had a lot. Listen, I had a lot. A, a lot of you know road dates come up, uh, space dates. I don't know if you guys have checked out the the comedy club out on the and uh, the Orion's Belt galaxy yet, but whew, great audiences. The two drink minimum still pisses me off. No, I haven't had time, Jay. I have two thousand children, and I've been enslaved to Secret Movie Club for two hundred years, so I wouldn't know what it's like. Space. Greg hasn't been drinking his government-mandated protein shakes, so that's why he seems so out of it. Yeah, I can see he's a little, a little testy. You got to get the protein shakes. That's where you get the pep pills. Oh yeah, Craig's always got to be happy. Craig's always got to be encouraging everybody. Craig's always got to make the audience feel good. Who else is with us? Hey, it's Daniel. Hi, it's me, Gunner Three Thousand, the Robot People's Champion. Hello, society. It's me. When did America cease to exist, even as an idea? Does anyone remember? 87 years ago. Oh. Because America disappeared into the unknown realms. You will be happy to know, audience, that slowly but surely Edwin has expanded his bedroom. It's now actually all of Southern California. He still doesn't fix that f***ing smoke alarm, though. That smoke alarm is now a natural treasure. It's part of the archives now. Piece of history. Yeah, it's terrible. You gotta get that smoke alarm fixed, especially since everything down there's constantly on fire and has been for a hundred years. Just be running constantly. Or just a little of my... Society bud.
that everyone now does in my society world. What do you guys remember most about when America finally fell? For me, I think about when all of the fans of the David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad finally revolted and really the pillars of society fell and they took to the government. That was really the catalyst, I think, when the historians write the books. Yeah. That was the most people I'd ever seen wearing mascot costumes and carrying guns. Yeah, it was like, I, you know, I played a lot of Fortnite, but I didn't think I'd ever see Fortnite. I just remember the whole thing being pretty mediocre, except for this one point where I went to a bar. So, and we're, as you can hear, audience, we're still doing the outmoded version of a podcast. We have not graduated to, you know, this four-dimensional hollow deck sensual sensorial thing because we don't have the money because I have too many children and I have a payroll that's ridiculous and I still can't meet it. But uh, let's uh, let's keep motoring lest this introduction collapse. Today, we're talking about hidden gems from uh, the 22nd century. Well, to, to clarify, we're talking about hidden gems from before the 23rd century. F your clarification, Robot Connor. So this week, because I still got to pay for all my children, uh, <laughs> you'd think I'd, you'd think, you'd think, You'd think, right, guys? You'd think I'd eventually, like, you know, get the tubes tied, right? But I can't bring myself to do it. I can't bring myself to do it. I mean, if you're one of the only men who's capable of having children, I can see why you'd want to keep pumping them out. It's a flex. Yeah, until they call you at all times of the day. Dad, can I have 50 bucks? Who are you? Then they give some name. Oh, yeah. I remember you kind of. Anyway, uh, this week uh, we are doing at the uh, the movie Holodex, Fast and Furious. They're doing Roman numerals now. I don't even know what it is. And Paul and Ludacris and Tyrese and Gal and Kurt and Tom Cruise. Remember when they fused Mission Impossible and Fast and Furious? That was actually kind of crazy. Incredible. Yeah, it was a really brilliant choice in 2150. Anyway, we're showing one of them. I don't even know which one it is, but you've loved all of them, so come and see it. Is it the one to go to Mars? God, that Mars rover chase scene is just phenomenal. I, I hope it's that one. I'll fly back from Ganymede just to see it. Yeah, it still holds up. That Mars rover chasing. You would think the effects, I mean, they really shot it on Mars, which was cool. I mean, that's the beauty, you know, you still get people doing practical effects. And that's why I'm glad they brought Christopher Nolan into the, uh, Fast and Furious first. And having people like Elon Musk to sort of fund it and really be behind the technology, I think, really progressed that sort of part of the medium forward. Yeah, but I'm sick of his cameos. You give the money, so now you got a cameo in every he's, Fast and Furious? He's the new Stan Lee, but without the charisma. And that's okay, though. He, he's got the money. Well, it's funny you call him the new Stan Lee because he looks like Modoc now with his flying little chair and his giant head. I like it. I mean, people, it's great for fan art. All I know is it's really pumping the ad revenue to my pages. Anyway, guys, in family night will be Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice, so bring the kids. That's our announcements for uh, this week. As always, you can contact us however you want because there are no protections from you reaching out to us anymore because of the microchips in our ads. I get your 10,000 complaints a second. And yeah, it does give me a low-level headache that never goes away. But uh, my constant pleas for you not to do that have uh, not changed anything. So keep doing it, audience. Let's move on. Your favorite films of the 22nd century. Jay, you're our special guest. Thank you for gracing us with your presence. What was your favorite film of the 22nd century or before Robot Connor or before? Oh, my gosh. I mean... This is a tough one because there was so much great cinema that came out, but I really do think the Shining remake where Billie Eilish played all the parts, absolute top of the charts. Like watching her get out of the music industry, get reborn, 
as a circus performer. Get out of being a circus performer, rebirth herself as a Jack Nicholson lookalike, then stop being a Jack Nicholson lookalike and just play his parts. I mean, a true like tour de force. I've never seen so much hair dye in one in one movie before, but it really just like it sealed it when, all up. Uh, when you get a chance to see that on your busy uh, touring schedule that hasn't allowed you to uh, be with us for 220 years. Fascinating you had two hours for that. Well, you know, the beauty of it is, uh, and now I can watch anything in five minute chunks. Everything got re-quibbied. Oh, and it's, everything's being directed by her brother, right? And they shoot it in chronological order, so she has to re-dye her hair every new scene, which is just, I think, such a commitment that we sort of lost when movie stars sort of passed away. My favorite choice was, even though she was a Jack Nicholson impersonator, for the remake of The Shining, they made her look like Ellen McGregor. Yes, I mean, that's the kind of thought that nobody's really putting into films anymore. You know, everything's made by algorithm. It's nice to have one person finally get to see a creative vision and see it all the way through. It, you know, that's uh, that's at least my take. I mean, I've been a Billie Eilish fan for a long time, so I'm glad to uh, finally see him shine, shining. Huh? Huh? You like? <laughs> you like? 220 years on the road has really improved your chops, homie. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I guess I still got that road dust on me, that road stardust. Well, great. How do you stay so happy? I'm real curious, Jay. You just got a pep in your voice I, I really don't recognize anymore in myself. I mean, truly, I think it's being out and about. I'm glad that I've been able to stay off of Earth and haven't gone back to Earth. But I will be going back for your Fast and the Furious screening. I promise. I've heard that before. I'll take the disappointment and the constant crush of being on Earth but I would rather spend those six hours in the holodeck cinema watching the fusion of the Mission Impossible and Fast and Furious franchises. It would be wonderful to have you. So, Adwin, what's your suggestion for people to watch? A film that came out in the year 1993 about a baseball player who gets drafted into Japan and plays for the Japanese leagues and doesn't understand what the hell is he doing there. And that film is Mr. Baseball. And now people... My people watch that movie every single day until they drop because that movie is a natural treasure. We have a Mr. Baseball Day every day. That went into law when Tom Selleck was elected president, right? No. I, I, I just did it. No, it, it, oh, it did. Because when you reached 3 billion followers, then whatever you said became law. And when you suggested that Tom Selleck become president because of his amazing performance in Mr. Baseball, that happened. Yeah, because I made him. And then him. when you suggest that every day be a holiday to watch Mr. Baseball, that happened. I can see why you'd forget that. He's just being humble with all those followers. Three, well, no, 3 billion was 100 years ago. Now with the galaxy, it's... 10 billion? 3% of whom text me in my microchip brain every day complaining that I mistreat you. Well, sometimes you don't show the movies I want. Don't show what I really want. What you really, really want. What I really, really want and what I really, really want is Heaven's Gate to be played every year, every day until people get that damn movie. Do you feel responsible that your advocation to make Mr. Baseball a daily holiday split political parties and caused huge quantities of people to leave Earth? Including, I believe, Jay and potentially mm -hmm. Craig at one point? Well, if they leave, it's their loss for not loving the greatest American film ever made, right? Is there a loss or leave it there? Your love of Mr. Baseball drove everyone in Seattle underground, and now every day the drum tracks from Mr. Baseball plays and people come out and kill everybody. Who who dares to disobey Mr. Baseball will get hunted down and watch that movie until they get the point. You know what my biggest regret is? 
in my 300 plus years of life Not killing Edwin is the day that I hired Edwin onto secret movie club and thought his love of Mr. Baseball was cute. It's like being the mother of Hitler. For, I don't know if anyone gets that reference anymore. Making Hitler references? God, you think anyone's going to get that? Might as well make a 9-11 joke. Jesus. What did you say? 9-11? I think I forgot about that. So uh, let's move from little dictator Edwin Cesar Gomez to Daniel Ott. Daniel, enlighten us. There was that really, I think, brilliant and progressive reappraisal of early cinema from sort of our initial era before the medication that allows us to live where we were. And I think when Tom Hooper finally decided to recreate The Master of Disguise with the reanimated corpse of Dana Carvey after his passing R.I.P., same script, same shot, same locations, including the moment of silence for the terrible event. I don't know if you know the backstory about that, but the terrible event we mentioned before from the early 2000s, they actually took a moment of silence during filming the turtle club scene. Tom Hooper's, you know, he's always been a man of history and his return to history in the form of recreating pieces of cinema that we thought were lost to time, except for Edwin's DVD library. After 300 years, I'm still not down with Hooper's over-reliance on the wide-angle lens as a stylistic choice. I just think he came into himself after Cats and, you know, where you go after that is, I guess into recreating history but I understand your issues and some of his framing devices his literal framing he really likes the bottom corner of the screen but it's I mean find me someone that doesn't love and admire cats I know Robot Connor and I meet yearly to rewatch of course because now it's a Christmas classic which I still don't understand I think that was also maybe an Edwin Gomez in political office statement of what classifies as a new Christmas classics yeah like Die Hard 2 I never would have thought Dana Carvey's Master of Disguise you know would go to number one on the BFI top 10 sight and sound list but it's been there now for 100 years once the fans got a vote i think that's important they took away the critics because what do they know the fans finally got to have their voices heard and they made sure that it was heard for that film well it didn't hurt that tom hooper started kissing up to edwin tom hooper just saying edwin's the most brilliant movie mine and then suddenly guess what happened he's number one on bfi sight and sound so that's how you do it wasn't dana carvey winning best actor for that the first time somebody got a posthumous Oscar after they'd been reanimated or am I am I remembering that wrong I think it was for Tom Hooper's recreation of the cat in the hat where he replaced uh, Mike Myers with Dana Carvey oh okay but it wasn't for Master of Disguise okay I don't have the website pulled up right now but he may have won two in a row with the Master of Disguise as well I'll have to look up on IMDB intergalactic movie database and see it's quite a list maybe I'll just get my assistant to print that off for me later it's nice that you guys have the money to afford that little stopgap thing so that the chip doesn't just pour information into your brain when you think of something. I don't have that money. People who have a lot of children who don't have a lot of money, they don't get that. Comedy's a blue collar job. I get it. What do you get? I get I'm just performing I'm just you know I'm, I'm a, a man of the people. Just like you. I'm just not with you people. On the moon of Ganymede. Real hanging with the people there, homie. You can come hang out if you want. Just fly back with me after I see this Fast and the Furious screen. I don't have that freedom. You could. Just run just run away with me. Wouldn't you like to not have to watch Mr. Baseball? Again? I have moral obligations, Jay. My Catholicism and Judaism has never left me for 350 years. Well, speaking of which, happy Passover. I have the moral blocker chip installed, so I don't, I don't feel any of that anymore. I can't afford it. Well, after 200 years, I finally watched Zack Snyder's Justice League. And boy, oh boy, are my eyes tired. You know, Zack, if you wanted me to watch your movie sooner, you shouldn't have made it so long. It's actually, it's the greatest film of all time. Definitely, it definitely deserves being four hours long. It definitely couldn't have been, you know, three hours long and also just as good. It needed that extra hour of characters 
you know, just sort of doing things that we already understand that they were going to do. I think Jared Leto winning that Oscar for that one scene was the greatest moment in film history, and I'm glad he won that Oscar finally. I'm still mad about it. It's a real Judy Dench and Shakespeare in love moment. It's interesting, Edwin. Every time you bring up Jared Leto in that scene, I see your eyes sort of well up. And I think it meant a lot to you. Is there a personal connection to it that hit you so strong with Jared Leto's performance in Justice League? The way he delivered those lines to Batman and killing Robin because everyone saw that coming. It's been a long time because you do... What does his laugh sound like? <laughs> like like something's dying. I noticed something else when Edwin talked about Jared Leto's Joker. Since we're doing this old radio style, I didn't want to describe it to the audience, but all of us are sharing a video feed together, and yes, it is very apparent. And I'm eating space, Mr. Baseball Fries. <laughs> Why is everyone tiptoeing around the elephant in the room? When we found out that Jared Leto was Edwin's dad, which was like doubly depressing to me because then Jared Leto and Edwin Gomez would be omnipresent for the rest of my life. Also makes it super weird that he's so aroused by him. I can't deal with that. I can't say anything or he'll punish 200 of my kids again. And then my kids will come to me. Why do you treat Edwin so bad? Edwin called us last night. Dad, you really should go easy on Edwin. I'm not the boss of Edwin anymore. Edwin's the boss of me. Forget it. I'm sorry. You guys don't need to hear the inner monologue. I'm supposed to do something because you guys have all done it. Uh, my favorite movie, pre-what, 2199? Honestly, Greg, considering your mental state, if you can just remember a single movie, you can talk about that one. There was a movie that came. What year was it when we ceased to have countries and then continents were just countries like Starship Troopers? 21. 72. So there was a movie just a few years after 2172 that came out of Oceania, a really weird combination of like cannibal movie, anthropological documentary, kind of romantic comedy, animated movie with singing. But they did that thing where I don't remember the year, but remember when Disney actually invented singing, talking, anthropomorphic animals in the lab and then people could buy them as pets. And then suddenly everyone was getting for Christmas their own Pixar and Disney anthropomorphic pet. And then the things turned on everybody and they were finding people dead in their house because the singing would happen. Right. And then they would go and there were the animals singing around the half consumed corpse of their owner. And then someone made a movie about that, but made it happy. And I was like, that almost made me feel something again. But then I got 300 calls from my kids in my head about something Edwin wanted and the feeling that I was almost feeling I didn't feel. You said 2172. Was that James Cameron's Avatar 2? That didn't come out for another 30 years, man. The movie was called Disney Pixar Oceania's Yes Sir Sit on My Lap. I don't even think I saw that one. With the infinite content stream going on now, I lose all track of when stuff comes out. Guess who did every voice in that movie? Jared Leto. It was, wasn't it Jared Leto and Patton Oswalt back as Remy the Rat from Ratatouille? Something. But it was constantly about sitting in people's laps. And then when people would ask Edwin what that was about, because he funded it, Radio Silence. Now I remember. I remember Tom Hooper did The Master of Disguise and Cat in the Hat. And then he directed the Ratatouille musical that they wrote on TikTok way back in the day. And Patton Oswalt didn't do Remy the Rat. And everybody was up in arms. So they brought him back for Yes, Sir, Sit in My Lap. There's a big debate over which fan moment broke politics. And I think that miscasting of not bringing Patton Oswalt back was one of the major ones. <laughs> so over this. Let's just go to pop culture and final thoughts. Robot Connor, because you always depress the hell out of me, why don't you go first? Hello. I have been playing Glorp Nukesic 3 on my you know, and uh, you know, you can watch me play video games at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz. 
websites are still a thing. I've just been hanging out, drinking oil. It's the only thing I'm allowed to drink as a robot. Oil? Yeah. I drink oil. Is there any oil left? It's right here with me. I got a big jug of it. You should not. You should sell it, Robot Connor. I don't know what currency does for you. No, but it's the only thing I can drink. I die. Then I want to seriously encourage you to think about selling it. All right. Uh, I just received my government-mandated Quentin Tarantino's novelization of Mr. Baseball, which is just brilliant. It sort of retakes the structure of Mr. Baseball in a whole different direction. I read the foreword by our own Edwin Gomez, which is really very beautiful. Some run-on sentences, but I think very beautiful. I'll probably be finishing that in the next week, and you know, then I don't really know what I'll do. Keep on keeping on, I guess. Always the diplomat, huh, Daniel? I try to be. I'm so afraid. His honorable Edwin Caesar Gomez. Have you finally perfected mac and cheese? I have been. Perfected mac and cheese is now the greatest thing on earth. My future pop culture thingy, whatever you call it these days, I bought out the theaters. I bought Vista. I bought Secret Movie Club, and now Craig works for me now. He's living off the money I give him every now and then. I bought everything, and I will watch Mr. Baseball later again tonight as my goodnight sleep prayer. I love you, Tom Selleck. So Edwin, yet again, for the 9,000th time, chose to use his pop culture moment to plug Mr. Baseball. And making only his second appearance in 200-plus years. That's canonical. I'm really grateful. I know it took a lot for you to do this. It really did. I mean, my internet connection up here is not as good as you would expect it to be. But hey, you know, you can't trust Elon Musk to get all the fiber right between the various moons of this solar system. Yeah, he's too busy making alien-human hybrids. And, uh... Uh, hey, listen, Grimes is very distracting, even in her third iteration. I've been taking some time, you know, I wanted to check out the Joe Rogan live in-person museum. And I tell you what, I mean, you think you get an experience by checking out a place on a holodeck, but just to see the Joe Rogan Museum and Conservatory in person, that, that felt like a pilgrimage. That's the Joe Rogan experience. That is the Joe Rogan experience. That's what it's all been leading up to. And, you know, I got a nice on it swag bag after the fact and then I came back and I wanted to go back and do something old school so I checked out The Greatest Average American which is that Nate Bargatze special from years ago. But it was very fun, you know go see something very futuristic and then see something a little bit more uh, down to earth, so to speak. Even though it's an earth I barely recognize. Yeah, because you haven't been back. Exactly. Do you have any plugs? Uh, yeah, you can still follow me on all of the social medias at Diet J uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok Friend Grabber uh, Jumpster. Parlor? Yeah, Parlor. I got on Parlor. Baidu, Amazon. Anywhere where people are saying stuff, I'll also say stuff. The Buzz Stop? Don't you mention the Buzz Stop in my presence ever again. Didn't my agent tell you we had a falling out Buzz Stop? Sorry. Okay, sorry. <sighs> Everything's fine. Buzz Stop's a wonderful website. I meant the Buzz Stop near me. I hear people talking there all oh, the time. Oh, that's on me. It's sorry. I thought you said Buzz Stop. Internet connection. <laughs> Yeah, no, I get it. Friggin' Elon Musk, man. My uh, pop culture and final thought will be on the uh, temptation of the existence of a final thought. You would have thought there was a point where you actually could have a final thought. I went the other day to McDonald's with the Kitty Holodeck Playground now. That thing where you can, for one minute, actually experience non-existence. What we used to call death. It costs a lot of money. It was all the money I had for one blessed minute. I didn't think about anything. I experienced death. And it was wonderful. And then that minute was over. And then the din of the 35 kids I had to bring with me who were playing in the holodeck came back. And all my obligations. And Edwin's constant telling me what I have to do. 
and uh, having to make money and realizing that it'll never, ever end because we uh, decided we wanted to live forever. And uh, I went along with that because I'm too weak to uh, to have thought of anything else. So, you know, enjoy that audience. I'm sorry. I know you keep telling me I'm a downer, but uh, I don't know what you want from me. I really don't know what you want from me. That's why we bring in everyone's favorite bug man, Scree, every week. Scree! Yes! Yay! From what I'm piecing together for the audience, he's letting Craig know that the Joe Rogan Experience Museum, if you have a Bank of the Continent credit card, will be free for children ages 20 and under on 420 this month. So it can be really a chance for you and your kids to connect, Craig, and no financial burden. I can't believe how many plugs we have to do now. Um, thank you, Scree. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Robot Connor. Thank you, Daniel Ott. Thank you, Emperor Caesar, Edwin Caesar Gomez. You're welcome. As always, you can reach out to us at secretmovieclub.com. I haven't had any money to evolve to any of the other new platforms, so that's where you can go. And uh, that's it. So take care, everybody. Until next week, and next week, and the week after that, 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 and the week after that. Next week, we'll be talking about Mr. Baseball. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot. Every other podcast is about Mr. Baseball. We'll be talking about every scene in that film, how it's like a Bergman film or Fellini. Why do you keep me on, Edwin? Because, Craig, you're usable. Enjoy yourself, Secret Movie Club. Can you do the Joker laugh one more time, Edwin? <laughs>